All right, thank you so much. It is a privilege to be with you. And do me a favor, because I can't do this for everybody else. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are so blessed to sit by me. Go ahead and tell them. That's right. I have a ministry assignment today, and uh, you're going to see on this slide that comes up behind me, there's a question that we're going to try and tackle, and uh, if we can pull that up, there it is. Is God relevant? Now, this is an interesting question, and I'm a pastor, and pastors normally do theology, uh, and theo, so a Greek symbol, circle with a line through it, it's a symbol for God, theology, study of, like biology, right, you know, uh, numerology, buffetology, whatever it is, that the study of whatever. So pastors are usually equipped to deliver messages based on theology, but this question, this ministry assignment for me today with you guys is philosophy, and it predates uh, a lot of what theology is. This is actually going to bridge the gap for many of you here. And to be honest with you, in, uh, in 22 minutes, we're only going to scratch the surface uh, of trying to answer this. So I don't want to be so arrogant to think that, that we, could, we could handle this issue. But it is an important issue, even if you are a believer. If you're not a believer, this is actually a question that, that, that you need to wrestle with. Because if there a God, I'm not even saying a Christian God, but a, a Muslim God or a Buddhist God or whatever it is that's out there. If there is some kind of God, does it even mean anything? Is it relevant in any way, shape, or form? I took my son. By the way, I have a, a 19-year-old, soon-to-be 20-year-old. He's going to Hutch Juco, and uh, he's a great kid. He leads Christian uh, Challenge Worship over in Hutch, and I'm taking applications right now for um, marital arrangements for him. If anybody is interested, just let me know. Uh, but when he was a little guy, I, I mean a little guy, I took him to go see the NJCAA National Tourney over there in Hutch, junior college basketball. It was a lot of fun. He didn't want to go to see basketball. He wanted to go because I was going to let him get something from the snack shop, right, because that's just where he was. And he's sitting there eating his cotton candy, and at one point, I mean, the crowd's going nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he drops everything, and he just starts clapping. And he looks at me and goes, what are we clapping for? And I think that's what happens in a lot of our religious expression. Yay, God! Yay, church! Yay, faith! And then we're like, what, what are we clapping for? This is one of those questions that causes us to pause and say, is there a reason why we're doing this? I'm going to give away my answer up front. I believe that God is relevant. I believe that there is a reason. So I'm coming with the predisposition, and I want to hang this talk on a very simple passage that I'm sure you're all aware of. Genesis chapter 1, starting verses uh, 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that light was good, God separated the light from the darkness. Now, on the next slide, here's the first thing, because we're going to have to roll through this. This verse and the question, is God relevant, have an assumption built into it. And the assumption is there is a God. To ask the question, is God relevant, is to assume that there is a God. And believe it or not, the Bible does the exact same thing. In the beginning, God. The very first verse, Bereshit bara Elohim, the beginning of the Hebrew Bible, is this assumption that there is a God. And so if you say, I'm going to read the Bible and see if I can figure out if there is a God, that's not a great place to start, to be honest with you, because the Bible assumes when you come to the Bible that there is a God. So it's trying to teach you the theology of who God is. We have to come to grips with the fact that there is a got to be a longing inside of us. There's something inside of us that has to tell us whether or not there actually is a God, and then whether we want to pursue assume or not. As a matter of fact, there's a term that gets tossed around all the time in our culture, and it's atheism. 
People, there's probably several of you in this room that you'd say you're an atheist. And I love you, but I want to share something with you. In one of the philosophers and poets of your day, Inigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I do not think you know what that word means. What is atheism? Matter of fact, where did atheism come from etymologically? Well, the word atheism is theoism. It is the practice of God. But like any Latin or Greek phrase, you put an ah in front of it, like something is symmetrical, then it's symmetrical. But if it's asymmetrical, it's what? It's negating it, it's different. To practice God, theism, and then to say an atheism, that is to not practice God. And do you know where this term erupted? The first atheists that we know of that were used, that term was used to describe them, were Christians. Yeah, that doesn't shock anybody, let me try it over here. The first atheists were Christians, and why? Because in a pagan world where the Hellenistic view had a pantheon of gods, there was a god of rain, and there was a god of thunder, and there was a god of war, and there was a god of love, there was a god of all this, they had these Christians who denied all of that, and they only had one god, so the world called Christians atheists. You didn't believe in all the gods. I'm an atheist, because I believe in one god, etymologically. Now here's the problem with that. An atheist will tell you, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't believe that there's a God. There's no way there's, there, there can't be a God. Now that's, that's trouble because what you're saying is I know there isn't a God. Well, I'm gonna argue with you on this because the smartest people on the planet, the, I mean the, the, the Einsteins of the world, can we just, I, I love you very much. I'm probably not an Einstein in the room, is that right? Probably not one of the top 10 Mensa people on the planet going here to Sterling. I'm not one. I'm definitely not. You need to speak if it's you. I'm not that smart. Look at whoever you're sitting next to and say, you ain't that smart either. Go ahead and tell them. If you were the smartest person on the planet, I mean, if you had, if you were Einstein, here's what they tell us. An Einstein, with all their education and intelligence, they have the ability to to capture and contain 1%, everybody say 1%, 1% of the world's knowledge, 1%. Now let's just pretend you were 10 times more intelligent than Einstein. Let's say you were Einstein times 10, and you had 10% of everything that there was to be known. You would be a walking computer. You would be the next enemy of the Avengers. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, if you had 10%, now let me ask you a question. If you had 10% of everything that there was to be known, do you think that maybe in the 90% that you didn't know, there might be one minuscule fact that would let you know there is a God? See, everybody in here can do the math, even though we're not geniuses. And if I didn't know 90% of something, there's probably a good chance in that 90% there's something in there that could convince me. Here's the issue. To be an atheist, it's, it's actually not a good it's not a good bargain. You can be an agnostic and say, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But to declare, say, there is no God, and I can prove. No, 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 you can't. Because we're just, we're just not that. The, the onus of proof is against the atheist. Let me, let me help you out with this. It's easier to say that something is than something isn't. For instance, what if I told you that there was a three-armed, green-haired man that had two legitimate belly buttons on his back. One's an innie, one's an outie. Most of you didn't tell me, that ain't true. I say, how do you know? 
And you say, well, I just, no such thing as a three-armed, whatever colored hair, any Audi on his back. That's stupid. I mean, was it a circular belly button? What was going on right there? Here's the issue. I would say, have you met everybody on the planet? Well, no. And if you met them, did you ask them all to take their shirt off so that you could check the belly button on their back? But what if I said, I haven't met everybody, but I have met him, and I can introduce you to him. See, it's easier to know who is rather than who isn't. And for someone to say, I'm an atheist, is to say, I know everything and everybody, and I've disproved it all, and I can tell you there is no God. That's just not a good game to play. So let me challenge you. If you really struggle with this, you keep using that word. I don't think you know what that word means. Be an agnostic. And at least put yourself in the place of saying, there could be, there might not be. Maybe I don't believe this way, or, or maybe I'm not with this proclivity, but there is a chance there might be something out there. Can we at least start there? There is a chance. Everybody say, there is a chance. I know that sounds like a Dumb and Dumber reference, but that's, that's a little bit different. There is a chance. Now, atheism is, is not the assumption of the question, is God relevant? Now we get into the question. Number two, in the beginning, God created now, if there is a God, because we assume that in this question that there is a God, if there is a God, then I believe he is relevant because he is a creator God. He is a God that has purpose and design. In other words, if your parents said they didn't mean to have you and you were an accident, it doesn't matter. God knit you together in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter if you were planned or unplanned. It doesn't matter if you wanted to go to another school, but you came here because this is where the money was. It doesn't matter if she broke up with you yesterday because all those things knit together. There is a plan and a purpose for your life because God is a creator God. The word creator, barashith, is a word that literally means to cause, to come into effect. And that means that everything that began, began with a purpose. Everything that began had a causation. God is known in philosophy as the unmoved mover. Everything else, like a domino, had to start, but God didn't have a start. He was the starter of everything. He was the one who put it all together. We understand that if something has purpose, then it has meaning. If it was designed, it has meaning. I live in a 100-year-old house, 100-year-old house. And in my 100-year-old house, there are some things that perplex me, one of which is the fact that there are light switches that don't do anything. You ever lived in a house with a light switch that didn't do anything? I even got those really old ones that aren't switches. They're the push buttons. And they're fine. I've lived there for 16 years. And I have to admit, for 16 years, at least once a month, I still flick that one switch behind the TV. It's never done anything. I remember the first, when we moved in, I'm like, I had boys in the other room. Is it doing something? Nothing. And we kept doing it. And the reason that it bothers me is because it's a light switch. They don't occur naturally in nature. You're not walking through the forest and going, oh, look, there's a switch on this tree. That doesn't work that way. If you see a light switch, it was made and put there for a purpose. Now, I know logically that over the years, the wires got cut, they replaced it with something else, but it still bothers me because I know it was made. It was made for something. And so this last month, I did it. I'm over there. I'm still looking. And I'm just afraid there's a guy down the street going, come on. And it's not just things that are made by hand, it's things in nature as well. How many of you out there have ever sneezed and couldn't figure out why you sneezed? Has that ever happened to anybody? So you know, I'm a biology major, I know why we sneeze. We're expelling germs from bacteria from the mucous membrane of our nose, it's a self-defense system. Yeah, it's true, it's absolutely true. But did you know you don't always sneeze because you're expelling mucus? Sometimes your body's not doing that. Those little hairs in your nose, they're called cilia. 
called cilia. And those hairs, by the way, they're there for your protection. So when you see an older man with long nose hairs, don't get grossed out. He's healthier than you. <laughs> and don't tell him to trim them. Just comb them right into the stash. It'll be awesome. <laughs> There's a mental picture just to keep you awake. See, here's the issue. When you sneeze, you think, oh, I'm expelling something. But sometimes, this last weekend, it's never happened. I've been preaching since 1991. And on stage at, at my church, I sneezed in the middle of the message. Un okay, here it comes in. And by the way, 800 people, not one of them said, God bless you. I was mad about that. I had to ask for it. Why did I sneeze there? So I actually got online. The reason I'm sharing this with you is I got on. Why did I sneeze? In the middle of the mess, I, there wasn't a fly, I wasn't sniffing pollen, there was, I mean, I was just standing there, and here's what it said, cilia are always running in first gear. Those sensory little hairs are like, and if you haven't sneezed in a while, or picked your nose, or whatever, your brain's like, are you still working? And it will send a signal out, and it will have you sneeze just to make sure they're still, your brain goes, control, alt, delete, on your nose hairs. And so if you've ever just been, for no reason, that's your brain. That's amazing. That's a plan, that's a design. Great googly moogly, that has a purpose. Can I get an amen in the house? There's a purpose. The fact that God creates means it's, that God is relevant because he created for a purpose. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this one final way. I, um, what's your name? Jesse, everybody say hi Jesse. Jesse's going to be the, the hero of a very fake story, so here we go. Later today, after all this, Jesse's going to be very emotionally moved. He's going to be really seeking the Lord. He's going to be so happy about what God has done in his heart. You're, you're there, right? You're good. That's good. And he's going to be walking around out on the grass in between the buildings out there. He's not even paying attention to you. He's just, you know, praising the Lord. Everything is good. When all of a sudden, the ground's going to open up and swallow him. And Jesse is sucked to the underbelly of the earth. Now, several of you see this, so you run to him, and you lean over the edge of this hole, and you all pull out your phones, because that's what we do in a crisis, isn't that right? And you're shining the light down there, and you go, Jesse, are you okay? And he's like, yes. <coughs> Wait. He pulls out his phone to use the flashlight. <gasps> it's a cave. And Jesse has found a cave. We didn't know it. Never before seen. Hundreds of thousands of years of work and nature that have... There, there's stalactites. Which one's on the roof? Stalactite? Stalactites! I'm a pastor. <laughs> stalactites! Stalactites! And, and he's shining his light around. You're going, Jesse, are you okay? He goes, This is amazing. <laughs> I'm the first person in human history to see there's cave bacon. Have you seen cave bacon? It is awesome. It looks like bacon on the wall. It's so cool. And, and there's an underground stream. This is amazing. And Jesse, are you okay? He goes, Wait, wait. I see something. Jesse, what do you see? And we see in the light of his phone, he holds up a water bottle. Come again, Jesse. What did you say? I found a water bottle. I thought this was an unexplored, never seen cave before. It is. But how do you explain a water bottle? And Jesse hollers up to us. I have a theory. Millions of years ago, the tectonic plates under Kansas slid together in such a way that they scraped certain minerals off and heated up and formed a plastic rippled bottle. <laughs> and in the process, a little bit of cave juice was captured. And in the most recent millennia, roots have grown down 
and surrounded the bottle, leaving a label that says bottled in Dallas. Now, we love you, Jesse, but that's stupid. Can I get an amen to that? You're all laughing, and I, and I knew it was going to be a funny story because you're like, that is preposterous. <laughs> Bottle cave juice. You're a moron. I agree. That's a stupid story. Did you know that this bottle is millions upon millions of times more complex than the hand that holds it? Did you know that this bottle is just simplistic chemically compared to the eyes that behold it? And if you can sit there and tell me that that could never just happen, that had to be designed. It's, it's obvious. It was designed. This, not, not this. <laughs> I have never once looked in the mirror and went, Shazam. <laughs> never happened. But, but I mean, the human form. If you can't believe that this just happened on its own, then this didn't just happen on its own. And if it didn't happen on its own, it was designed. And that means whatever mistakes you've made, whatever hurts you've gone through, whatever difficulties you see, whatever fears you have, there is a purpose and a plan. And God is relevant because he is a creator who created this and that and you. And that makes him relevant. And all God's people said. Third. In the beginning, God created, and God saw, what did he make? He made light. He spoke, said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. Now, that's interesting because the very first thing that he makes, he qualifies it with a qualitative reference. It's good. What's the opposite of good? Bad. So if there's good, then there's also? You can't, you can't have good without bad. And, and there's another way to say it. There's right, and then there's? This is where it gets a little tricky because this is objective truth. That if there is a God, he's relevant because he created and he set standards and he says there is a right, there is a wrong, there is a good, there is a bad. And if God's saying that, then that makes him relevant. Something we got to do about that. Let me give you the difference between objective and subjective truth. This happened yesterday in our office. We were having a meeting and doing a video conference in a small room. The air conditioner wasn't working. It was 84 degrees in a room with 16 people. 84 degrees. Now, 84 degrees... Some people, look, some, he's like, ah, that's nothing right there. Yeah, you're okay. And other people are like, oh, I'd rather die. This is the third level of hell. Why am I here? Okay, objective truth, 84 degrees. Subjective truth, the gal sitting next to me, it's finally warm in here. I'm comfortable. What is wrong with you? <laughs> objective truth is the measurable. It is not the interpretation or the opinion. It is the fact. And what I'm making the claim is when God says, that, when God says, if there is a God, and he says something is good, then that becomes an objective fact. And that means that we probably ought to figure out what he says is good, and what he says is bad, and what he says is right, and what he says is wrong, because it's not just whatever you feel. This is going to be one of the strongest debates that you have in, in your life, one of the most difficult things that you're going to experience as a, as a collegiate, because... We have confused the freedom of expression with the correctness of expression. And here's what I want to say. Just because you get to say it doesn't mean it's right. Have you watched the news? 
I didn't, I didn't turn out, I didn't want to be a pastor when I was starting through. Pastors, that's not what I want to do. I have a degree in journalism. I have two degrees in journalism. I thought I was going to be a journalist. I know what the sunum bonum is, the highest good, the fourth branch of government. I, I understand all that. I believe in the freedom of expression. I want even stupid people to have the right to say whatever they want to say. But just because you have the right to say it doesn't mean it's right. Are you all with me on that? Just because you have the right to believe it doesn't make it correct. If there is a God and there is objective truth, then that's relevant because there's a right, there's a wrong, there's all kinds of stuff. Let me try this real quick. Some of you may be arguing with me and go, well, you can play your little games or whatever, Andy, but I believe that truth is relative. Whatever's true for you is true, not true for me, but might be true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you. Okay. If I take this piece of paper and I let it go right now, what's it going to do? If I take this piece of paper and I let it go right now, what's it going to do? If I take this piece of paper and I let it go right now, what's it going to do? If I take this piece of paper and I let it go right now, what's it going to do? I have 500 sheets. <laughs> if I take this piece of paper right now and I let it go, what's it going to do? Save the trees. <laughs> Yep, I'm on a college campus. <laughs> now, I, I think we've been what? We, we have a very low relative sample, only five pieces, but all five pieces did exactly as your theory predicted. They fell. How many of you believe that if I did that with all 500 pieces of paper that they would all fall? Just, I'm taking a survey. If I did that with all five, they'd all fall. Let me say it differently. Barring unseen for circumstances, freshmen, no wind, I'm not turning it into a paper airplane, I'm not throwing it up. If I did it the exact same way all the time and just did that, is there anyone in here believes that maybe one out of 500 might just automatically shoot up and cling to the ceiling? Is there anybody that believes that? No, you wanna know why? Because you believe in objective truth. You may say, I don't believe in gravity. Well, jump off a building, gravity believes in you. Follow me? And we are arrogant if we think, well, I believe in objective truth here, but not objective truth here. I believe that there's objective truth in science and nature, but not in morality. That's when you believe there is a God and you are he. Because you get to define. The truth is, if there is a God, and we're assuming that there is, he has purpose and plan because he designed you. And second, he's relevant because he holds truth. And that truth is objective. It's not up to us. That makes him relevant. Leads us to a third place. I wish I had more time to expound, but here's the third thing. There is cause and effect. You see, the reality is that if we are in a system where there is a God, that's the assumption, and this God has designed us means we have purpose, and he has standards that are truth for everybody, right, wrong, good, bad, then the way we respond to him, it's important. It's absolutely important because there's cause and effect. If there is a God and he has a purpose and plan for us and he has a standard of truth and we move away from him, there will be an effect. And if there is a God and he has a standard of truth and a purpose for us and we move towards him, there will be an effect. 
I just got back from a seven-day cruise in Alaska. I gained five pounds in seven days. I can do better next time. I think I can do a pound a day if you give me another shot at it. You want to know why I gained five pounds in seven days? Because I put that much caloric intake into my system. It wasn't, how did this happen? I know how it happened. Creme brulee three times a day. <laughs> yes, I had it for breakfast. I'm unashamed. They offered, I took it. You understand? That's how that worked. You put it in. Now, here's the problem. I don't understand. I'm not a pastor, not a biology guy. I don't know how the digestive system works. I know it tasted good. And even though I didn't understand it, guess what? It still happened. Let me ask another question. We're almost done. How many of you in here have ever gotten some kind of moving violation, speeding ticket, something like that from a cop? Just go ahead and raise your hand. It's confession time. How many of you ever got something? Raise your hand up high. Be proud. Okay, good chunk of us. Gotten a ticket before. Now let me thin the herd. How many of you got that ticket, and when you got pulled over for it, you were absolutely surprised. You didn't know you were doing what they said you were doing. Go ahead and put your hands up. Not very many of you. Let me ask the question the other way. How many of you got that ticket? And you absolutely knew why they were pulling you over. Go ahead and raise it. Yeah, most of you. Most of you. Pause. I don't know if you know this, but there's this crazy law that if you didn't know you were doing wrong, all you have to do is tell the judge and you're okay. No, that's not true. It's not true. It's not. You want to know there's a principle. Some of you in the legal part, what you, criminology or whatever, is that a thing? <laughs> okay, whatever. Pastor, that's what I am. Ignorance of the law is, some of you have been to court. Yeah, that's good, no excuse. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You see, those are arbitrary laws. You could say the street outside is 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, that changes. But God, if there is a God, and he has a purpose and a design for us, and his ways are right over wrong, then his laws, whether you're aware of them or not, have consequences. And so I haven't been asked to talk about Jesus, the resurrection. I haven't been asked to talk about grace or mercy. I've been asked to answer this question. If there is a God, is he relevant? Does he even mean anything? The answer is yes. If there is a God, then there's purpose for all of us. And there's right versus wrong. And the way we live pertaining to all that will have consequences, either good or bad. Now here's what I need to tell you. Genesis 1 begins with everything right. Genesis 3, everything falls apart. Genesis 4 through the entire Old Testament, all the New Testament, all the way to Revelation 22. Here's the good news for you. Do you know what Reve that entire, everything from Genesis 4 to Revelation 22 is God saying, you broke it, but I'll fix it for you. You denied me, but I'll never deny you. And you've run from me, but I'm going to chase you. And I haven't been asked to ask the, answer this, but there's an answer to going the wrong direction. It's called restoration. The God of the universe will meet you right where you are. And you can begin to put these pieces back together again. The first step is to realize there is a God and he matters. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be together with these. And please, God, uh, help the profs to be uh, blessings on these students as I've kept them a couple minutes late. But more than that, I pray that you would help us to each and every one wrestle with and struggle with 
the most important issues of the day, which is chiefly you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people said. It is unfair for someone to come up and make claims like this and statements like this and not give you a chance to respond. So two ways, uh, andyaddis.com. I have a landing page. You can get in touch with me on social media, email. Also, I'm going to go hang out at the Point Broadway Market until about one-ish. If you want to come and chew my head off or you want to argue or you want to do something else, I'm there. I love you. I want to open my life up to you. I'm very proud of you guys and thankful for who you are and what you're doing. Have a great time, and you are dismissed. <laughs>